Hello and welcome back to the Timeline Astrology Podcast. This is Gary O'Toole and today I'm going to talk all about Rahu, the north node of the moon. And of course we can't talk about Rahu without talking about Ketu, the south node of the moon as they're called in Vedic Astrology. And I'm going to give you this sort of background, a general background, general themes and talk about more specifics also, give you examples Maybe share some personal stories and insights that I've gathered over now nearly 18 years within this Rahu cycle. And so I just want to emphasize that the uh, astrology that I use is Indian astrology, where we use the sidereal zodiac more often. And also we use these dashes, as they're called, or cycles. So your chart is your chart, and that has been the case since you were born. It hasn't changed. It was just a snapshot of the heavens when you were born. But of course, you don't experience all of that in one go. You experience it over time. And Indian astrologers use more of these dashas combined with transits. So dasha is literally a Sanskrit word that means circumstance. So it shows the circumstances you're experiencing. And it shows what's come to life in your chart, basically, what has been activated all of the potentials that have been there from the beginning are active at different times. So looking at Rahu in any particular chart, we all have Rahu. We all have Rahu Ketu, both nodes in opposite areas of our chart, exactly opposite, and show this imbalance. Um, sometimes it can be very imbalanced and sometimes more consciously we can learn to channel that and find more balance. And depending on where they are in the chart also, the planets that rule, Rahu Ketu, all of these are important, but we all have it, this, but it's not always relevant. When it is relevant is when we go through a cycle of the nodes. So I'm going to focus on Rahu more so in this podcast and talk about its cycle, its transits, its significations. But again, I just want to highlight that you cannot talk about Rahu without including Ketu, the opposite end of the spectrum, and understanding what that is. So first of all, uh, astronomically, I'll explain just briefly what Rahu Ketu are and then more um, interpretively. So Rahu Ketu is basically the north and south nodes of the moon. If you draw a big circle as the earth moves around the sun and you draw a small circle as the moon moves around the earth, then you intersect those two circles. The northern intersection is Rahu and the southern intersection is Ketu, the north and south nodes. They are the lunar nodes, of course, because it's the relationship of the Earth, the Sun, and the Moon. So it's very much about our connection to spirit in a way as well, because it's the relationship between the, the Sun and the Earth with Moon as a sort of like go-betweener. Um, and if you want to talk about it in terms of philosophy and Vedic philosophy, um, then the Sun represents the Supreme Soul, the Paramatman. And the moon represents the individuated self or soul, and that's the jivatman. There is this sense of this soul progression from lifetime to lifetime. And many times the analogy that's used in Indian astrology is as if it were beads on a chain, like that each life is a bead and the chain is this Rahu Ketu link. And so what it fundamentally means is that Rahu shows where we're going to, what we're developing, and Ketu shows where we're coming from, what we have already developed. Now, that has very many um, connotations that could express itself in so many different ways. But basically, Rahu is showing where we're going, 
Ketu, where we're coming from. The North Node, Northern Ascending Node, what we're developing, what we'd like to ascend towards, move towards. It's very future orientated. Ketu, the South Node, the um, Descending Node, where we have this sense of going back, um, maybe sometimes being pulled back, having to deal with the past. Now, whether you believe in past lives or not, you don't really necessarily have to believe in that. You can just think of it in terms of this lifetime, that you're developing something now and into your future, but you have to acknowledge the past. And that's basically it. If you draw that out into past lives and that if you believe you've lived many past lives, then that just adds another dimension. And many, many layers, of course, of complexity. So it's not simple, of course. You can't just say Rahu is what you're wanting to develop now, Ketu, what you have and what you want to move away from, perhaps, your kind of default setting. Uh, but that's kind of, in a nutshell, simply what it represents. Of course, it depends how Rahu and Ketu are placed in your chart. The planets that rule them, all of these will have a say in how it all plays out in the end. So before I move from the astronomy, um, one last point to make about them. Um, as they transit around and every 18 and a half years they make a full circuit and every nine years or so they oppose each other, their um, original positions. Um, they do so in retrograde motion according to tradition. So there's this sense of the mean node calculation where we just calculate uh, the mean node across the board um, because we don't see the nodes. This is the thing. We only see them when there's an eclipse. So every six months or so, there's a couple of eclipses, sometimes three eclipses. And that's when the sun, moon, the earth, and these two calculated points all line up within certain degrees. So the rest of the time, we don't see them. So it's a calculation. And so it's a mean calculation that was traditionally used in India. In our modern day with computers and all of that, we have this true note, quote unquote, calculation. And uh, many astrologers are taking this on and there's, there's a whole controversy around which to use. Uh, it generally doesn't make a huge difference, although it can make up to 1.5 degrees of a difference. So one or so degrees of a difference isn't usually going to make a whole lot of difference, except for when the nodes are hovering between two signs. So that's when it's going to make a big, big difference. Now, generally, I myself use the mean node, the traditional approach for natal um, astrology when I'm reading people's charts. And I use the true node and the mean node both when I'm looking at transits. Uh, so I keep an open mind about it when I'm looking at transits. But I really, when I'm reading charts, don't want to confuse an already confused area of the person's life that I want to keep it as simple as possible. So I use the mean node when I'm looking at people's charts. So that's the astronomy. Again, remember every six months or so there's an eclipse and that kind of intensifies, especially if you're in a cycle of the nodes. So if you are in a Rahu cycle, certainly that's a time to pay attention to the eclipse or a Ketu cycle. So now interpretively, what do these represent? I'm going to bring in some, possibly some controversial things that I'm going to highlight here. Uh, I do have 18 years of Rahu, now almost 18 years of Rahu behind me. So I have some insights to share, I feel. And I am also aware, the other side of the nodes, the eclipses, that they can bring many great insights and a depth of awareness, but they can also obscure things. That's what eclipses do. It blocks the light of the sun or moon. 
So I am very conscious of that and I'm always aware of um, saying something that might be triggering as well. So there are things here that I might say that are triggering. So just be mindful of that because we are, again, referring to the shadow, your shadow self. And you might not want to accept or admit to certain things that on some level you might be um, experiencing because on some level you want it. And this is the controversy. Because again, you're not consciously doing it necessarily, uh, but it's happening in your life. And then you're wondering why this is happening. Why am I attracting this into my life? Why am I having this experience? And especially with Rahu, because Rahu is very much about experience. It's very experiential. It's very up and down as well because of that. And I'll, I'll explain more why it's up and down as well. Now, there is also now a difference as well as the true and mean node. There's a, a big difference between how Western astrologers and Eastern astrologers view Rahu. Western astrologers, as far as I can tell, view Rahu, the North Node, as very positive uh, on the whole. That it's something that you want to develop, um, that it's something that you want so bad, maybe, but it's also something that you're going to get. Whereas Eastern astrologers view it as a block. They call it the Badaka in India, the natural Badaka, the blocker. And it is said to rule Aquarius in traditional Indian astrology, whereas in modern Western astrology, Uranus is ruling Aquarius. Uranus and Rahu are very similar in that way and for that reason. But in traditional Eastern astrology, they see it as a blocker because the notion is that you want something so bad and you will likely develop that thing, but you'll also squeeze the life out of the very thing that you want by obsessing about it, by pursuing it and by pursuing anything, you almost in a way disconnect yourself from that thing. Now, the most obvious example of that is Rahu is like Mr. Ambition, as Camilla Sutton calls Rahu. And basically, it's about being so ambitious that no matter what you achieve, it doesn't quench the ambition itself. And so therefore, Rahu, the North Node, is not about the thing that you're going for. In fact, it's about the ambition, the desire for the thing. It's not about the thing. Because once you get the thing, and when you realize it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't quench that hunger, that thirst. Well, what happens then? The, another ambition, another desire for the next level, for the biggest thing, for the a bigger and bigger and bigger thing until it re you realize at some point, possibly after 18 years of this, that it's never going to satisfy. And then you settle down with it. But this notion of pursuing something is really tied more in with dopamine. And we can really correlate Rahu with dopamine more than anything. So dopamine is not about getting anything. It's about the pursuit of something. It's about going for something. And yes, the anticipation of the reward of something is there, but it's actually not about the thing itself because once you get the thing, um, if that were the case and you're satiated and you know serotonin, you might say, correlates with that more so, um, even exercise, when you're exercising, it initially spikes dopamine. Um, after a while, serotonin kicks in because it and it stops you from exercising because you've had your fill. Eating chocolate cake, it's increasing dopamine, the anticipation of eating a chocolate cake. And as you start eating a chocolate cake, a huge surge in dopamine. 
but then you can't keep eating chocolate cake. You feel satiated. Sex is the same thing. Or anything that you want to go for, it's about going for it, not the thing itself. And so dopamine, you can correlate with Rahu, this going for something, pursuing something. And when people talk about the pursuit of happiness, well, the pursuit of happiness, it's really more about the pursuit of, of happiness. It's not about happiness. And in fact, if you're pursuing happiness, you're in a way subconsciously or unconsciously telling yourself that you're not happy over and over. And one of the reasons why people talk about the pursuit of happiness creating problems is there's a few reasons. One is that you're constantly comparing yourself, constantly gauging yourself and how happy am I? And one of the issues of that is if you're mark if you're measuring yourself from where you are to where you want to be then you're never going to be happy because you're never going to be where you want to be where you want to be is always in the future so rahu is very future orientated it's all all about what you want and it's always in the future and it's never there in the present rahu is never present so the pursuit of happiness actually makes us unhappy for that reason we are always comparing ourselves and, and measuring ourselves from where we are to where we want to be, as opposed to measuring ourselves from where we are and where we've come from. So it's not quite as simple, though, to say that Rahu is in the future and showing this surge of dopamine and this pursuit of something to then say that Ketu is the serotonin sort of satiation. Because actually, the opposite of pursuing something is not being satisfied the opposite of pursuing something is running away from something and that's the key to end of the spectrum where we actually are coming from somewhere but likely also running from somewhere so we're not actually satisfied with that either so rahu is this dissatisfaction because we haven't got what we want yet and even when we get what we want it hasn't fulfilled that it hasn't filled that hole and ketu is this dissatisfaction because we've been there done that so it's not satiating either. There's a middle path, obviously, that's more satiating. So think of it in the extremes that Rahu is this need for something so bad that it's in the future, I'll never get it. And then Ketu is something in the past that we want to run away from. So again, the pursuit of happiness, when we start comparing ourselves in any of this from where we are to where we want to be, as opposed to where we come from and all we have achieved, one piece of advice I always give clients who are either entering a Rahu cycle, the 18 years of Rahu, or halfway through it, or are entering a couple of years of Rahu, you can have a Rahu cycle on many levels down to the minute, but you can have one on a two or three year level, maybe one year now and then. One thing I always say is, you know, just be mindful of where you are and where you've come from and all you have achieved and sit with yourself, especially in the 18 year long cycle of Rahu. Take some time now and again to realize that this pursuit always is actually this constant, almost reaffirmation, this um, constant reminding yourself that you're not where you want to be. And it's very dissatisfying, you know. So just sitting with yourself sometimes and just being and just re recognizing where you come from, all you have achieved, all you have in the moment in your life right now without wanting more is a really helpful antidote to this constant pursuit. The other thing about, and the problem with the pursuit of happiness, it's so self-centered. It's so, it's all about self-interest and to the extreme, narcissism. And so this is why Rahu is seen as Mr. Narcissistic. 
um, when Rahu is very prominent, either in the chart or at a particular time in your life, it's very much the focus on what you want. So it's all about you, obviously. And that itself is makes us very unhappy. So again, the pursuit of happiness makes us miserable because of that. And then the other thing that's said about the pursuit of happiness causing problems is this sense of overthinking it all the time. As opposed to just being happy, having that sense of inner joy, there's just constant overthinking things. And because in Indian myth, this ties very much in with this story of Rahu having his head cut off, the demon having his head cut off, and being imagine just being ahead, no body to satiate, and no body to, to ground oneself. If you're like floating around as a head, all you're doing is overthinking it. You're in your head all the time. And I see this time and time again with clients who are in a Rahu cycle where they just overthink things all the time and they are disconnected from the ground of reality. Um, and that's obviously, in terms of the pursuit of happiness, going to make us very unhappy if we overthink it. Now, the thing with Rahu is that it can show extremes in all kinds of ways. And so if it's extreme on one end, overthinking something, then it can swing wildly into the other direction. And then instead of overthinking something, then you don't think at all and just jump impulsively into something like recklessly. So that's the other extreme. And you might say that is more expressed by Ketu, the south node. So if Rahu is showing this overthink, Ketu is this headless part of you that's not thinking at all. And so those are the extremes as well of thinking. Self-centeredness as well, if that's Rahu thinking about yourself and only yourself, Ketu is not thinking about yourself at all and actually completely obliterating yourself, annihilating yourself. That's the other extreme. Comparison, like I said, is a bit trickier because with Rahu, you're always comparing yourself from where you are to where you want to be, so it makes you miserable. But with Ketu, if you're comparing yourself from where you are, from where you come from, it can, you know, show, oh, where I've, you know, all, all I've achieved in my life for sure. But oftentimes Ketu can also show the past coming up in terms of things that you'd prefer to move away from. So if you're looking at where you're coming from always and always going into the past and going back into your traumas and re-traumatizing yourself all the time or whatever it might be, constantly going back to things that didn't work out, constantly looking at your mistakes, that can also obviously make you miserable. So obviously there's a middle ground here between Rao and Ketu. And the middle ground is basically being happy with what is right now in the moment. And neither Rahu or Ketu um, in their extreme expressions are present. Ketu has the more potential to be present because it's more grounded in reality, in beingness. And, and that's certainly one possibility. But Rahu is certainly more of the potential of being completely lost, out of touch with reality. Now, there are obviously extreme, like very extreme expressions of that, uh, which I won't go into here, but whatever kind of shade or coloring that you have of Rahu in your chart, um, that's the kind of general theme. So now getting to the possibly more controversial side of this and possibly very triggering. So if you are listening to this, and you typically use the tropical chart, then Rahu Ketu need to be moved back 22 to 24 degrees. Most astrologers use 24 degrees at this point um, of a difference between the tropical and the sidereal, the fixed stars. So it means that, for example, if you have 
Rahu in Aries, then it goes back into Pisces. But because they are going retrograde, interestingly enough, that means that in a way, sidereal zodiac and Indian astrologers more often who use that are in a way ahead of the game with Rahu and Ketu because they are forward in that respect. So again, for example, if somebody has the North Node in Aries in the tropical Western chart, then it will be in Pisces in the sidereal chart. So that is the route it takes anyway, because it goes retrograde. It goes from Aries to Pisces to Aquarius, right? So it's in a way they're ahead in that way. But it's the opposite in terms of the planets, because if you have the sun in Aries in the tropical chart, it goes back 24 degrees to Pisces. And therefore, in fact, tropical with the planets are ahead of the sidereal. So I hope it didn't confuse you there. And if I did, well, we have to at least have a little bit of confusion in this podcast because it's all about the nodes. So here's where we get to the controversy. When you look at your chart, whether tropical or sidereal, just look at the nodes by house position. And to keep it simple, you know, Indian astrology generally uses traditional whole sign houses. So a sign is a house and a house is a sign. So if Aries is your 10th whole sign, so that's your 10th house. If you were Cancer rising, so Cancerians have Aries in the 10th house, whole sign house. You have Rahu in Aries. That means Rahu is in the 10th house. Then, well, first of all, it's a good place to put Rahu because there are four houses that Rahu is said to do better in. Um, and we can talk about signs as well now in a minute, but there's a controversy around that. Um, and, you know, I'm going to give you the traditional sort of approach and stick with that. But there are many different opinions about where Rahu and Ketu do well in. So Rahu is said to do well in the third, the sixth, the tenth and the eleventh. These are called the Upachaya houses, the houses of growth, of improvement. So it's where we can make some effort. Third house is more obviously the house of effort. Sixth house is where we overcome our challenges and, you know, compete and do better and improve our lives. Tenth house is about work and actions that we take. And eleventh house, the gains that we take from those actions, our bigger goals, our higher aspirations. And so these are all called the Upachaya houses where we improve over time also. So Rahu in these, in a way, it's... It's good to put Rahu in these kinds of houses because these houses are very self-interested also. In terms of the signs, Parashara, the sage, Indian sage Parashara, talks about Rahu being exalted in Taurus and debilitated in Scorpio. Therefore, Ketu is debilitated in Taurus and exalted in Scorpio. So why that is, is because Rahu in Taurus is about wanting the basics and getting all your needs met and it can exaggerate increase the basics wealth for example the downside of that whether it's exalted or debilitated the issue here with rahu when it's so strong or very weak is that it creates problems either way because if it's very strong in taurus it will give you all the wealth but then it's likely also to create problems so again, remember the story, the mythological story of how Rahu was created. He basically had his head cut off 
for drinking the immortal nectar. So you get what you want likely with Rahu and Taurus and I've seen this time and again where people get extreme wealth and then lose it all or have such a high price to pay for that wealth, the responsibility that comes with it, the headaches that come with having so much money, um, that it doesn't make them any happier basically. But when Rahu is in Scorpio, what it's exaggerating increasing is the sort of Scorpionic sort of themes which are darker and that is certainly more challenging. So there is this notion that when a malefic planet or a cruel planet as they're called, a shadow planet in this case Rahu, is very weak, it behaves more malefic than if it were very strong. Because at least if it were very strong, it feels strong. So if you can imagine a character in your life that's very um, shadowy, shady, shall we say, if they feel very powerful, yes, they have the potential to create harm, but they don't necessarily feel hard done by, so they're not going to lash out necessarily as much as if they were in a weak position. Now, when you put a rogue, a shady character in a weak position like Rahu and Scorpio, it's more likely going to act out in very extreme ways and create lots more problems. And exaggerate all the sort of darker themes of Scorpio and all of the doom and gloom and all of that, of course. But... Wherever you have it in your chart, by sign or by house, wherever it is, it's going to create problems. And there's a need to accept that. And the problem, remember, is, is this pursuit of the thing. And whether you get the thing or not, it's just not satisfied. And in fact, and here comes the controversy. So mindful here of triggers as we go through this next part. In fact, when you get the very thing that you've always wanted you may actually unconsciously sabotage that very thing because remember, it's not about the thing, it's about the pursuit of the thing. So if, for example, you have Rahu in the seventh house, why would Indian astrologers say Rahu in the seventh house shows more than one marriage? Because Rahu in the seventh house shows an obsession perhaps about relationships. And being in a relationship is not going to satisfy because it's more about the want, not about the having. So when you get married and you have Rahu in the seventh house, be mindful of that because you might sabotage the relationship so that you can chase another one. I'll use another example. If you have Rahu in the tenth house, let's use the example of Donald Trump with Rahu in the tenth house and his ruler, the sun, which rules his rising sign, Leo, with Rahu in the tenth house. So this creates even more of this sense of being driven. But what has Donald Trump experienced all of his life is a lot of ups and downs in his profession. Um, lots of bankruptcies, a lot of his companies have gone bankrupt. And whether he would admit this or not, and whether you would admit it or not, where Rahu is, is showing this drive and this sabotaging it so you can then chase it again. So Donald Trump is constantly chasing the high and then losing it all and then chasing it again. And so therefore, what Rahu shows is, what I'm saying is Rahu shows this sabotaging, this darker quality of Rahu shows this sabotaging something because it's not about the thing, it's about the chase for the thing. So Rahu in the 10th house, lots of success, especially if Rahu is exalted as it is in Donald Trump's chart in Taurus with his ruler, the sun, so Rahu's sun. He was born in an eclipse. So it really emphasizes his position in the world, but it also emphasizes this massive swings, high and low. 
So all of these companies that he forms and then they go bankrupt and then he starts again and they go bankrupt. He's chasing that high all the time. It's not about the thing because if he just had everything he ever wanted, first of all, it doesn't appease the Rahu hunger. And then you have to replace that thing with the next big thing. And that's why you might sabotage that thing. So now look at your own chart. Where is Rahu in your chart by house? What area do you experience Rahu? And recognize this pursuit. And recognize that it's not about getting it because as soon as you get it, you're likely to actually sabotage the very thing you always wanted so you can get it again. And this is why, for example, when Rahu's in the 10th house like Donald Trump, it aspects the second sign. So when Rahu is in any of the what are called Artha houses, the wealth houses, the second, sixth or tenth, or what we might say the workhouses, the practical realms of life, if it's in any one of those, it will influence or aspect the others. So they are the same element. Again, taking Donald Trump as an example, Taurus is the earth sign, his tenth house. Therefore, um, the other Artha houses are also the earth signs, second house, Virgo, sixth house, Capricorn. Rahu in any one of those will influence the other two. So he has Rahu in Taurus, it will influence Virgo and Capricorn. So that again shows this wild swinging up and down in terms of his wealth creation and then destruction and then creation and destruction. It's this transformation that is constantly going on with Rahu. So if you have it in one of the Kama or desire filled houses, three, seven or 11, it's going to influence the other two Kama houses. Likewise, for the moksha or liberating signs, the 4th, 8th and 12th, if it's in any one of those, it's going to influence the other two. And then the dharmic houses, the 1st, 5th and ninth. So whatever one you, of those you have it in, it influences the other two. And those areas of your life are where you're going to experience these massive ups and downs, especially in a Rahu cycle. So again, Artha is about wealth and that's maybe more obviously the case with Rahu because it's all about material gain. And so if you have Rahu in the 2nd, 6th or 10th, there's lots of wild swings, likely. If again Rahu is in the Kama desire filled houses, then it's all about desire. Of course, Rahu in the 3rd, 7th or 11th is going to show massive swings in relationships, in sexuality and so on. If Rahu is in the Moksha or liberating houses, 4th, 8th or 12th, that can challenge because it's asking you to go beyond this world. And Rahu, though a materialist in many ways, it can be as obsessed about spiritual liberation as anything else. And when you are obsessed about something, you don't get that thing, remember. So if you're obsessed about being enlightened, you'll never be enlightened. Because being enlightened is not about grasping enlightenment. And then finally, the Dharmic houses, you might say, is equally not as suited to Rahu, maybe least suited to Rahu, because Dharma is about righteousness, going the right path and having a sense of purpose. And Rahu in any of the first, fifth or ninth houses can show going against the grain, doing it differently, and actually going against your own Dharma, your own sense of self and purpose. And, and that can challenge in any of those houses. When Rahu is in the first house in particular, the person themselves feels the strong weight of Rahu, of this ambition to be somebody. And to be somebody is absolutely the most disconnecting experience there is. Likewise, in the fifth or ninth, 
this disconnect from one's path, from one's true calling, um, going a different way, asking so much of yourself as you go out on a limb on your own, trying to figure it all out in your own unique way. Though that can be very rewarding in one way, it's also very disconnecting in another way. So that's Rahu through the houses. Um, and I gave the example of Donald Trump. And again, look at your own chart and see where in my chart do I have Rahu? And where do I have this tendency to go full on, full tilt into this kind of desire, this pursuit of something? And when then I sometimes get it, maybe you don't even get that thing you want. It's the constant chase in your life. Um, I would actually say that's a positive thing if you don't get what you want, because you're, you at least can keep chasing it. And as soon as you get what you want, then you have to either sabotage the thing to continue that chase, or you have to replace that one with a bigger one, and then a bigger one, and then a bigger one. And it just becomes this just mammoth thing in your life, like this bottomless pit. So now, the last point I want to make about Rahu, and this is even more controversial. So if you haven't turned off already then maybe you need to turn off now because this is really more a lot more controversial because up until now I've been talking about the things you want and things you likely also although this is unconscious largely um, on some level you have this sense of hunger especially in a Rahu cycle remember it's this hunger is going to be uh, very apparent to you and you're likely going to be aware of what it is you're going for however when Rahu is in one of the, what are called the Dustana houses, the bad places, quote unquote, the 6th, 8th or 12th. Now I said previously that Rahu in the 6th is a positive thing because you can improve and that is certainly the case. But when it's in either the 6th, 8th or 12th, there's also another potential here that is hard to admit, that the person themselves might not admit. And that is creating problems in their own life, unconsciously doing so. So an example of that would be someone with Rahu in the sixth house, you know, with the sixth Lord aspecting the sixth Lord or the sixth Lord aspecting it, you know, but certainly within the sixth house realm of ill health, somebody asking to be unhealthy, like, how is that? Why would somebody ask to be unhealthy? Well, remember, if Rahu is a shadow, and by the way, if you have Rahu in the second house or 10th house, this can also show the potential. Um, let's let's not just look at unhealthy, let's also look at the sixth house in terms of competition and adversaries. Why would somebody invite ill health or adversaries or competition into their life? It's because they actually on some level enjoy it. They enjoy the chase. Again, an example of Donald Trump. He likes the chase for success and that includes enemies, that includes competitors. The 10th house, the 6th house, the 2nd house are all tied, remember, they're art the houses. 2nd house is money, 6th house, enemies, competitors, 10th house, career. Again, if you have Rahu in any of those houses, it's likely it's going to play out in ways like you're going to be um, challenged. So Rahu in the 6th house, ill health, why would somebody ask for being unhealthy? Well, on some level, they're actually asking for improvement. That's one, again, thing I mentioned about the Upachaya houses, the house of improvement, and that they can improve their lot. But the thing about Rahu, remember, is, and especially more so in a Rahu cycle, 
that it's a never-ending quest. So there is no actual end in sight in terms of self-improvement. And so why somebody would actually self-sabotage their own health even is that they're constantly trying to improve and improve and improve. And by doing so, they actually create more problems than anything else. So it's like obsessing about problems, excess, obsessing about uh, all the issues, the day-to-day -day stuff even, that sixth house. Creating problems constantly in order to have this sense of this pursuit of this perfect whatever. And you can't reach perfection ever anyway. But even if you were to reach perfection with Rahu, it will, as soon as it reached perfection, sabotage it so that you can start the chase again. And this is why Rahu in the sixth house can create health problems. Rahu in the second house can create a lot of health problems because it's about um, food. So I often see this in um, people's charts when I'm doing readings, that there's something missing from the diet, for example, when Rahu's in the second house. Sometimes it's because of they are obsessing about some sort of restrict diet or they eat too much of one thing. Remember, Rahu is an excessive thing. So if you're eating too much of one thing, you're likely not eating enough of other things. And so again, there's this kind of dichotomy always with Rahu, this all or nothing approach. Um, so if you're doing that, you're obviously going to create ill health. Again, it's tied to the sixth house. And then the tie into the tenth house is that, you know, obviously these are showing the actions you're taking, but it also might show that it might block your career prospects because you're not eating well. You know, if you're unhealthy, you can't work. So this is how it could show some problems. So that's the sixth house. Again, very few people would admit to that because very few people are conscious of that shadow side of Rahu. And when someone has Rahu in the sixth or the second or tenth, the acknowledgement that actually you're creating all of these problems on some level, that the shadow part of you is making it happen, is an acknowledgement of the pursuit of whatever it is you're going for. So another example, Rahu in the 8th house, another Dustana or bad place. 8th house is all about trauma. And Rahu in the 8th can show this constant striving to go through the process, to go through your trauma again and process and process. And as Ken Wilbur, the philosopher, talks about transcend and include, Rahu in the 8th can show this constant need to transcend all your traumas. But what you might end up doing is actually constantly re-traumatize yourself. So it's like you go on as many retreats as you can every year. You like you t you, you take all of the psychedelics. You do the ayahuasca retreats. You are in therapy all the time. It's this constant processing, transforming all of these traumas. And what you might end up doing is just obviously overly focusing on and obsessing about them. And there is no end in sight because remember, Rahu is a bottomless pit. So when you, if you were to ever, which you cannot, but if you were to ever process every single trauma that you've ever, ever experienced, what ends up happening is that you end up self-sabotaging and then creating more traumatic experiences so that you can then process them again. And so this is the catch-22 of Rahu always and Rahu in the 8th house. So Rahu in the 8th house then also influences the other moksha houses, 4th and 12th. And so that happiness is affected by that, that's the 4th house. And your ability to, to surrender and let go is the 12th house. And then you cannot let go. And so obviously there's an issue here with Rahu in the 8th house where you just cannot, cannot let go. 
and cannot be happy. Another thing I want to say about Rahu in the fourth house is that it directly ties into this pursuit of happiness. And when Rahu is in the fourth house, the person is in, on such a quest for happiness that again, they're actually subconsciously constantly reaffirming the fact that they are not happy. If you're constantly searching for happiness, then it's basically telling yourself, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I want to be happy. I, I want to be happy. It means that I'm not happy. I'm not happy. It's a future orientated thing. So Rahu in the fourth house is most definitely a problem there. Rahu in the twelfth house is constantly seeking um, a way out. A way out of your problems, a way out of the day to day, wanting to trip out. And Rahu in the twelfth can show as many problems because of that by not dealing with your problems. And actually they create creates even more problems. This is the problem with Rahu in the twelfth house. So recognizing your need even through meditative practices, through practice that would otherwise be a great affirming and reaffirming thing in your life to tune into what is could be used as a way to tune out and this is the sort of dichotomy again of rahu and the fine line that's walked oftentimes in spiritual practice where you know to understand your intention in the first place are you sitting to meditate to tune out to not deal with your problems or are you sitting to meditate to actually be able to deal with your problems. So this is Rahu in the 12th house. Now the other one is Rahu in any of the Dharma houses, like I said. So when Rahu is in the 1st, 5th or ninth, it's a bit more complicated because, especially in the ninth house, traditionally Rahu in the ninth is seen as the worst place to put Rahu. I don't think it's as bad these days because... Traditionally, that was a bad thing because Rahu in the ninth is about going against tradition. And the first, fifth, and ninth are all about tradition, of course, but especially when Rahu's in the ninth. Ninth is the father, the guru, the teacher, the tradition, following the well-worn path. Rahu in the ninth shows you going it on your own and actually going off path. And if you go off path, you're in trouble. In ancient India, you're in trouble. In modern day, that's not necessarily the case. Everyone's going on their own path. We're entering an age of Aquarius, which remember in Indian astrology is co-ruled by Rahu. Unlike Western Uranus, it's Rahu. So we're entering an age of Rahu. And so everybody's going off on their own. Everyone, it's all about the individual these days. It's all about individual freedoms. It's all about um, experimentation. It's all about innovation, technology, and all of that is going to be the theme for many thousand years. So uh, for the next 2000 years or more. So basically, Rahu in the ninth these days, I don't think is as much of an issue, but still it is an issue. And if you have Rahu in the first, fifth or ninth, it's going to influence the other two. So it doesn't really matter any of those one, five or nine. It's going to create issues in terms of your dharma, your, your path, your righteous path. And in another way, we have to see it as actually that going off the path is also your path. And it might be for a time and it might be during the Rahu Dasha, the Rahu cycle, especially those 18 years or even one, two or three years at a time that maybe you just need to experiment and then come back into the fold again. But if you were born with Rahu in the first, fifth or ninth, it's always the sense of being the outsider, you know, doing it differently, um, thinking differently, having different belief systems to everyone else, being, you know, if you're brought up in one religion, going to another religion, Whatever it is, any kind of thing that you would have been born into or have been taught, you would go against. 
And there are potential pitfalls to that, of course. And when Rahu is in the first house, for example, you know, this extreme of asking so much of the, themselves, that's what the person does with Rahu in the first, uh, creates a distorted sense of self. Because Rahu, remember, is a shadow, it's an eclipse. It might exaggerate, but it also distorts. It might give many insights, but it also blocks perception. And this is again the dichotomy of Rahu. So that's Rahu through the houses. I, I hope I give you a sense of how that can pan out in different houses. Remember that Rahu is always the extreme end where Ketu is the other extreme. And the more extreme Rahu becomes, the more extreme Ketu becomes. So if you're extremely focused on yourself, Rahu in the first, you're extremely neglectful of others, Ketu in the seventh. If you're extremely focused on your wealth, your food, your whatever, what's me, mine, that's second house, you're then extremely not dealing with other people's wealth, values, whatever. Also, second house would be about comforts and security. And if you're extremely focused on building wealth and security around you, you're not dealing with your traumas. That's Ketu in the eighth. You're not going there, quote unquote. You're just wanting to comfort yourself all the time, perhaps. If you're extremely focused on your opinions and sex and interacting with other people, that's Rahu in the third house, then you're not focused on teachers and following any kind of traditional advice. If you're extremely focused on the pursuit of happiness with Rahu in the fourth, you might then neglect your career. If you only want to be happy, then you're not necessarily going to be wanting to work. If you're extremely focused on enjoyments, on power in the fifth house, then you're likely extremely neglectful of friends, networks and associates. You want personal power, Rahu in the fifth. If you're extremely focused on problems, on ill health, on perfecting yourself with Rahu in the sixth house, on competition, then you're likely extremely neglectful of resting extremely neglectful of just shutting off at the end of the day you're constantly thinking about issues if you're extremely focused on having a partner Rahu in the seventh house you're likely extremely neglectful of yourself Ketu in the first if you're extremely focused on transmutation on transform more transforming transmorphing trans whatever in the eighth house going through a process of dealing with your traumas then you're likely extremely neglectful of the basics ketu in the second if you're extremely focused on what you believe to be true and getting as many people to validate your truth as you can getting confused in the process then you're likely extremely neglectful of your own opinion too many gurus, as in too many chefs. If you're extremely focused on career and position in the world with Rahu in the 10th, you're likely extremely neglectful of your home and happiness. If you're extremely focused on your ambitions, your goals in life and friends and people and networks that can give you that with Rahu in the 11th, you're likely extremely neglectful of what it is that you hold dear, your children perhaps, your own creative self-expression. It's all about everyone else. And then finally, if you're extremely focused on Rahu in the 12th, 
tripping out, then you're likely extremely neglectful of your day-to-day responsibilities, Ketu in the sixth. So that's just a hint at some of the indications of Rahu through the chart and some general indications as well as maybe more specific. Hopefully you get something out of that for yourself. If you'd like to follow up this conversation and follow up with me and Kishori, I'll be following up this podcast with our continued Maps of Consciousness series as we talk about Rao in Capricorn in the next installment. We've already gone through Aries, Pisces and Aquarius and now we're on to Capricorn. And it's really great to hear Kishori's take on Rahu in the different houses and signs and how we can always flip Rahu around um, beyond what I have suggested here and delved into here in terms of the shadow. There's always the other side of the shadow. And in fact, and in many ways, it's the quickest route to enlightenment. It's the quickest route into light by going through our darkness, transcending the shadow. But remember, Ken Wilbur advises, when we transcend and include, we don't want to transcend too quickly. We want to be able to transcend in just the right amount so that we can assimilate the past and include it and move on and do so without creating more problems than we solve. So I hope you found that enjoyable. Um, I have, have to say I have found the 18 years of Rahu on the whole very enjoyable. Um, in my chart, it has a, a different indication where Rahu is in... Jupiter sign and Jupiter tends to mitigate or antidote Rahu's disorderly quality and chaotic nature so it's been a bit more organized than it would have been otherwise and I have managed it quite well I would say it has at times kind of gone off the rails and that's fine but mostly it's been you know managed I would say now should you manage Rahu that's a whole other topic and maybe that could be a whole other podcast because really it's a shadow part of you that is like a chaotic part of you that really it's like a divine feminine fierce goddess energy within you like it's not necessarily something that you should pin down let me put it that way but certainly it can be managed better and that energy can be allowed free reign at times in a safe manner so i hope you enjoyed that and until next time